yeah even live in the same state exactly exactly well look what it's done to me first of all look what it's done to me what it's has uprooted it done? me it's uprooted me i'm no longer a new yorker i live in uh, the grand old state of jersey what is this the garden state is that what you guys You're just you like call us yourselves? <laughs> us, us. so um welcome to the 50th episode of retraction and with us a special guest maxine hiker extraordinaire joining us thank you for joining us maxine you could say welcome hi. maxine hello thank you for having me and uh where that's for the top story which we're going to talk about a little bit of hiking and climate change that's a little later uh before we get there how was everyone's week <laughs> maxine are you home right now i see your 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 room is surrounded in wood i Not am really home i, I like live that. on the cusp of the white mountain national forest and my home reflects that where is that exactly where is that yeah, yeah i don't know where that that's is a good question in New Hampshire, it's about two hours west of Portland, Maine, and two hours east of Burlington, Vermont. So are you in the middle of foliage right now? Are you getting the fall colors yet or no? It's kind of peaked already, unfortunately. Oh, well, did you get to see it? No. Oh, so that's <laughs> the unfortunate part. I was in New Jersey and New York for a week, um, and I missed the foliage. Oh, that's all it took? Sure. One week? one week and it's gone really honestly it seemed like that was that was the week <laughs> it was two weekends so it was like mm-hmm. it covered it covered a lot of time so i missed fall entirely i guess that's how it works around here i'm <laughs> change i mean how is it i mean i i didn't know that you were still in new hampshire so you're are you never coming back to the tri-state have you completely <laughs> abandoned it you're never going to go but you're never going to uh, achieve the beauty of the Garden State once again for the rest of your life. You are now in New Hampshire. What is it? Live free or die live hard? Or, live free or wow. die. <laughs> that is an ultimatum. I don't hate that, actually. I kind of feel that in my soul. <laughs> but How about live free or find a better way? We'll try a few things first and then maybe die. Nope. Now I just go right <laughs> to die. Death. Just like take it or leave it and I'm jumping off a cliff. Is yeah. there? Is there like a, is that what their garden state is or empire state? Is that what New Hampshire is? I believe so. I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know what the like state. Oh, it's the granite state, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. How's the grant? That's uh, there's like a weird disconnect between that whole. So where, where does that motto come from? I mean, not sorry, we're not going to throw this against you. Like, oh, you represent New Hampshire now because you're a you're a transplant. You're you're there for the beauty, not yeah. the not the not the uh, lack of taxation. Whereas right. most people from New England seem to be in New Hampshire for. That's true, and I receive no lack of taxation benefits because technically I still live in New Jersey on paper. Oh, it's a tax yeah. nightmare. <laughs> well, no, that's why it's not a tax nightmare because I only file taxes for New Jersey and New York, I guess, because that's where I'm employed. It exists over three states currently. It's okay. We with the with the readers with the listenership that we have, I don't think the IRS is listening. So <laughs> <laughs> doing anything wrong. You, you don't have to you don't, you don't have to be so <laughs> I'm giving out a lot of personal yeah. details. Yeah. Actually. Being so cat. <laughs> I will be completely traceable by the end of this. So. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> oh, man. This is awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, what do you got, Antoine? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you got? We'll work on that. Edit I, thought you were, I thought you were driving. <laughs> I am driving. I was just trying to think it's, it's best because I was like, if you're turning it over to me, well, I mean, I have my gripe of the week, uh, my axe to grind, but I wasn't sure if Maxine was done. I wasn't sure if Maxine had anything else to, I'm, I'm done. to say I'm about done. her time in New Hampshire so far. Okay. It's. It's beautiful. There are lots of peaks and I love hiking them. This is my dream, my dream come true, honestly. I'm that's happy all to at the Appalachian Mountains, right? That's what that yeah. is. And is that the highest elevation of that mountain range or the most? Yes, technically. Mount Washington is the tallest peak on the East Coast, I think. But Clingman's Dome in Tennessee is technically the highest point. But it's can you explain like the a- difference. Explain the difference because I don't, I'm not following you. I feel like, do you guys fact check? While you, uh, yeah, then it's yeah, called sometimes. retraction. So we usually yeah. do it the next episode if something was like not not necessarily. Well, sometimes, sometimes, but sometimes, or we, sometimes we, yeah, we it do it in, in the in the real time. Yeah, and, and that's fine. You know, again, the power of it. That's what it's all about. We just kind of throw stuff at the wall, and then you know, we fix it if we have to. 
I mean, that's just that's Jamie always asking the hardest question possible. I mean, I don't. There's literally maybe one other person who's interested in the the height elevation. Well, the highest peaks. peak versus what did you say? The highest peak versus the the highest point. point? I, what's the difference? Because there's a there's this structure on Klingman's Dome in Tennessee. And I'm not sure if it's the structure that pushes it over the height. Probably like a tree or like yeah. a home, like a building. But actually, it's like a weird ramp, actually. Oh, Which I wouldn't be surprised. Really, it sounds I'm just, like a bunch of cheaters over there. What do you mean? I mean, think about almost buildings. The they almost the highest peak, but then they like build a little antenna or a little like yeah. ramp. Which like is on which is on ramp. That's on like, one. We're the tallest. I don't know. I might be lying, so let me just say this one <laughs> thing that I know to be true, which is that Mount Washington is the tallest peak in the Northeast. Okay. And that is in New Hampshire. Yes, it is. Congratulations to you. 6,288 feet tall. Oh, wow. But you can drive up it on the auto road, which a lot of people do. And you'll see a lot. You've probably seen them. People have bumper stickers that say, like, this car has climbed Mount Washington. Really? Yeah. It's, that, it's that like a, like a bucket list kind of a situation. Yeah. It's really cool. I would love to, to explore more about New Hampshire. I, I, I honestly only went up there like a handful of times in my life, mostly to get to Canada. Um, but, oh, right. Uh, yeah. Come on up to New Hampshire. And, and stay a while. Yeah. I usually try not to stay. That's, the, that's, the, <laughs> that's what they need to forever. do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, on my end, my axe, okay, and this is, you know, jump in. My town, so you Jersey people, um, we're, we have a turf war. Uh, which I can't believe it, it w- was happening when it, when I first got here. But uh, they, the town basically wants to throw in turf onto one of our fields that has poor drainage, and so it, and it's under the guise of environmental friendly turf with allowing the children to play. Don't you want the children to play? Don't you want the children to be outside and enjoy themselves? And what, it's too swampy with regular grass. Well, for feet, for yeah, for for like uh, soccer, like for for team sports. I mean, any anybody can just go out and play on grass, even if it is a, a bit soggy. Uh, but for team sports, they're saying it's it's too, uh, it's not not temperamental, but yeah, because of the rain for the rainfall it receives, and because it doesn't get proper drainage, you are going to kill the grass if you have back after like back to back games on it. And anyone who's played a uh, a team sport with cleats or you know how the grass looks after a game um you know it's not it's not a it's not a pretty sight so the town is know what a twisted angle looks like after playing on turf well i mean that's definitely one of the things that i that was my here's the thing that was my first reaction when i heard that the town wanted to put in turf i was like i thought turf was synonymous with um extra injury and by extra injury more prevalent injury is what i want to say uh because i mean they've, they've done studies in the nfl where they talk about uh nfl players and um and acl injuries and there is like a percentage uptick when you're playing on turf not to mention it's oh, it's so unforgiven if you get hit or fall on it uh and then yeah but i mean and then to be fair a lot of what they're talking about is older turf. Uh, and there has been there have been some advancements in the way that turf is made. It's a bit it's a bit more realistic, a, a bit more forgiving, but it's still fake. Uh, so you know you're you're only going to get it so far. It's not going to be anything close to uh, landing on the on the soft plushness of a of a, a bladed fields of, gar- of of grain, right? Okay. Is there so- a are they transparent with the maintenance costs? Between yeah, the grass no, and turf. Yeah, well, I, well, here's the thing: the maintenance cost of grass. Uh, is definitely higher per year in terms of the, your annual maintenance when you are talking about like specifically taking care of the the field itself. But the fact that you turf is incredibly expensive, so you're you're looking at and the town's looking at like to spend like two million dollars to get in the the turf to begin with, and then you also have there's like a little additional cost in terms of preparing the ground in the fields that the turf is basically you know, so it's not just lying on concrete. Usually you want it to uh, there's like layers that you're trying to build in. Uh, in order to allow sufficient drainage. Uh, but the thing is, turf doesn't last that long. So it, it has a shelf life of about eight to 10 years on average, which means that if you pay t- $2 million now, you're going to need to pay $2 million, you know, well, let's not say $2 million. Let's say it's like $1.5 because you, re- you have to replace the field, but you, know, you, don't, you might not have to do all the ground, the legwork for the initial install. So I will give them that benefit, but you do have to replace the entire turf field. And curious. In yeah. terms of your drainage issue, if it's like the grade of the surrounding slopes where the water's not being removed from the field. Absolutely. That's part of it. Or is it the soil itself where the soil isn't 
draining. It's like not sandy soil. It's clay or something like that. Well, I mean, I, the point because is, if it's the first yeah, one, it's going to it's gonna it's just going to pool on the turf. I I can't really speak to that aspect of it because no one has really given any kind of uh, in terms of the planning that that's all part of the planning phase. So they're they're trying to get to the planning phase. We're actually so what I want bringing it up is because November second is our gubernatorial elections. And uh, and the referendum on whether we're getting turf or not, someone managed to get one in. And so people, the town will be voting on it. But literally, when you walk down the streets of the town, it is split in half and it is a bitter divide uh, in terms of people, people who have are signs. Yes, there are, there are signs. signs. There are signs next to me. Right. As we you give speak. us one chance for, for each side. <laughs> Wait, which what do yeah. the signs say so yeah, exactly. this is what's this, this is what's really funny so five out of, is it five out of six though no. for let's say four out of five of the uh town council agreed to uh have the turf and one person was detracting and i'll get into their their reasons for detracting later but the the people who are very pro turf definitely you, you get the sense that the people who are getting the signs for pro turf are being funded by the government or being funded by someone with money uh, because the signs are significantly uh, better uh, marketed. The messaging is just clearer. Uh, they look better. Uh, they usually say things like, let the kids play. You say like with a little check box of say yes to turf with a check in the box. Uh, they're they're the, the color. They're, they're like green signs to like let you think of that 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 beauty of a green field. Uh, it's, it's just a lot of iterations of let the kids play. Let the kids play. The children are just smattered all over this thing uh whereas the the, the no side uh is a, is a darker green side usually and uh it it looks like someone just hastily got that out of a, a your local printer uh not the printer here but like let's say you went to i don't know who whatever big box printing store and it usually just says no turf or no <laughs> that's, it. that's it no reasoning no marketing no messaging it just says no turf <laughs> That's just no. negative. Just it's so <laughs> negative. Just no, no turf, no turf in my town. No turf. It just makes them look like Grinches. Like they're just they're just being ornery to be ornery. Like I just don't want the kids to play. I hate the children. Like it's it, you get so, that feel on the on the signage, and it's crazy. What's what's the <laughs> genesis of this? Did X amount of kids' games get canceled yes. because of weather? Yes, last for year? years. Yes, yes, because of yeah. Well, we look. We were we're living in climate change. Uh, you, I mean, Jersey's definitely at least as I've I mean I've I've been here that long, but I've experienced records about of uh snowfall and uh as well as rain since i've been here in a year uh and, and and it definitely took its toll on the field and apparently many games were canceled and um and uh and the kids were not were they the kids couldn't use the field so parents are un, uh, understandably perturbed by the lack of by having by not having access to a local field and probably having to go to other towns or go elsewhere uh for their kids to play so i so i get that i get What's that the progress yeah. Yeah, what's, what's that? The pro- what's the progress solution? What is progress? Want? Well, the, well, the pro, well, the progress solution is the <laughs> is the academic solution, which is that turf is not turf is not. Uh, a but you can't just say turf's no good and our kids can't play because everything gets canceled. Turf's no good. We want the kids to play, and we propose this. What's their solution? Well, this. No, well, the, all right. So the solution is to bring in. Um, People who are professionals, so like, like field professionals, yeah, like um, golf, res- exactly, uh, course, like a golf, like right? a golf like course the, would have turf yep. management. I assume exactly. So, so the, apparently the town was working with a consulting firm uh, with re- with regard to the field, uh, but they terminated that contract uh, abruptly uh, based on the anti-turf people. So I, I'm not privy to exactly what went down there, but apparently, but they, but factually, they they were working with a group, and then they terminated that contract because things in, were getting better. Well, I, like I, I can't. I'm not going to say that because I'm not going to squeegee from one side or the other here. Okay, I'm just going to purport as I you see know your it. Progress, you know your progress, Antoine. You know your progress. Well, I'm going to look here. I want to give you a reason why it is interesting that we are in this situation because the, the funny enough, the Atlantic wrote an article uh, in 2019 because this is becoming a national issue. And that's, that's the thing. At first, I was going to leave it alone because I was like, all right, this is my small town problems, and no one cares about small town problems. But apparently, turf. Is a national issue because there's a pro. There's like a, a actual turf lobby at California because of their various issues with drought and fires and what have you. Is is one of the biggest users of turf, and so the pro turf lobby has actually gained quite a bit of money and momentum. So throughout the nation, yeah, fine. Where it's not, 
I, I don't want to say native because grass isn't native to a lot. It's of not native. Yeah, right, exactly. It is. But where it's not conducive to the environment, like in a drought ridden area or pa- places that don't get a lot of moisture, which I, is the one I, exception. I get it, but, exception. Yeah. But how is it different then in places like New Jersey uh, that you're just paving over stuff? It's not natural. It doesn't have any ecosystem to it as, as grass would. So how is it any different than just paving over these fields? Isn't there some kind of ecological benefit to having grass, even though it, it would be better if there weren't, weren't any, if we weren't like mowing down forests to make grass fields, well, but if we're going, yeah. to, wouldn't grass be better than an artificial turf that has no okay. life to it? All right. So, I mean, without like directly quoting, but I, I, I actually ask anyone to go and read the article. It's called the, um, it's called the dangerous pileup of artificial turf. It was done uh, at the Atlantic. Uh, dates are uh, December nineteenth of twenty nineteen. So go check out that article. I'm basically just going to cherry pick a little bit from it right now. But so so basically, according to that article, uh, the the disadvantage to doing turf is the fact that we do not have sufficient means to recycle it, and a lot of the pro turf people tout its ability to be recycled because it's made of mostly recycled material, which is mo- it's, mo- it's, like, it's like tires and, and other types of plastics. But essentially, recycling the turf itself, once, it's, once those recycled materials have been turned into turf, recycling that turf itself is incredibly expensive and requires sophisticated means for recycling. Funny enough, Europe has some of that sophisticated means, but America doesn't. <laughs> so a lot of the turf ends up in landfills, it just ends up being trash, and you have, you, and it's basically just piles and piles of tr- of turf that have just been littering landfills across the nation, and and it's just create, it's just basically adding to the uh, you know our, our our trash problem as a whole. Not to mention that, but when turf starts to degrade, it releases microplastics into the environment, and that mi- those microplastics often end up in waterways. So even without being removed. As it's being used and as it starts to degrade, those microplastics end up in the water, or like the drinking water of the communities that happen to put in turf in their areas. So there, I mean, we that, need to have go on. These, we need to have like a scoring model or something to say every time we make a decision, these yeah. are the downstream impacts. So, okay, you want to you want to convert this grass field to turf, and that's I don't know. I'm going to say 100 yards. Yeah. Right. And whatever sure. the square footage is, whatever it is. Yeah. And that means that it will cause X, whether it's the amount of microplastics, the devastation to the local ecosystem, the amount of sun that doesn't get absorbed or oxygen or mm-hmm. carbon dioxide that doesn't get converted to oxygen. Like we have no way of determining what the real life impacts of our decisions are other than, well, three games were canceled last year. And after that rough winter, we had a dirt spot at the 50 yard line. Like yeah. Yeah. that's. Like our that's as our far as it goes. Normally, criteria is like off, which which is what I was sort of that's that's what I was amazed about, to be honest, because I was like, I I'm, I'm coming into this late because this this has been an ongoing battle for like the ten the last ten years in terms of the town, and it's just coming to a head now because the town has actually gotten the green light to fund replacing the turf, but. The fact that I come in here and I do a cursory search on what turf is doing in America and how turf is like not environmentally friendly by any act like journalistic account and it's completely devoid from the conversation that people are having or the pro turf people are not even willing to like i don't know if they know this information that's what's so funny about but the people in the town council who are advocating to replace the grass with turf should have this information or at least should be aware of the information i I know they are because a lot of the anti-turf people are bringing up these exact same uh issues that i'm bringing up in this in this in this pod right now about the detriments of installing turf into your in, into your town but none of this is in the public conversation it's literally just a conversation between as most things devolve into do you like children or do you hate children <laughs> that's really all there is to it yeah no go maxi yeah what's up oh no i'm just starting to think that i would have a no sign on my lawn <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, before we browbeat the yesers into submission, because I mean, look, yeah, you would, you would the put case a isn't proven. Which, and which case? Say, so we, they have grass now. Yes, they have grass now. Correct. What's the case to change it? And it's only that if we put this in there, the dirt Children spot at the fifty-yard line will yeah. be will be no more. That's correct. And we won't have to cancel three games. We think. 
Because do we know what the harsh winter is going to do to this? And do we know what the rain is going to do to this? And I assume they do and, and it won't be an issue. But we don't know anything else. Like the, the only considerations, as you so eloquently put it, are the children. Are right. the children going to get to play? Yeah. Um, but we really don't know what else this does. I mean, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot more that goes into it. I mean, there's also an economic aspect uh, that has actually been brought up by the anti-turf people, which is the fact that the part of town that they want to put the turf in is a town is a part of the town that's. I, mean, I don't know what this means. I'm literally just kind of quoting people, but they're saying like it's the uh, it's 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 a town. It's part of the town that doesn't have as much money. It's like a slightly economically less advantaged than the rest of the town. But the town in general, it's just. Call spade a spade. It's it's full. Of, you know, it's it's not a poor town by most stretches of the of the nation's means in terms of uh, what we're talking about here. You know, this is a. I like to pick on West Virginia. <laughs> I always imagine we have no viewership for West, no listenership for West Virginia, but it's not coal mining town. You know, it's not coal mining areas. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so but but I will say I'm just saying that it's not like people want to put the turf in the center of town which has like a beautiful memorial park it's gorgeous like that is all grass no one would ever think of turfing over any of the main park in the main part of town this 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 part of town that i've actually never seen i've never been to and, and, and this field that i've never i've never laid eyes on so i guess it's, it must be incredibly out of the way is the place where, where everyone is considering putting this field and, and another aspect to the disingenuousness nature of the pro turf people is that they're claiming that if we do turf over this field, we will buy up other land elsewhere in order to replace it. So to give people who are now no longer have access to natural landscaping, access to natural landscaping. The reason I call that disingenuous is because Jamie has mentioned this before. Northern Jersey is like one of the more populated areas, like or like densely populated areas in, in the country. And the idea that you could all that first of all, if you can't find space now to buy to have a new field, how are you going to find space in the future? I want to raise my hand right here. Yeah, go for it. Why wouldn't if you're going to do that, then just move the soccer fields to the new location and keep that a park? Exactly. That, that's that's my point. There, there obviously is no place to buy. That's why. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That doesn't that's, make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But it is legitimately an argument that has been pre- presented by the pro turf people. And they is this a that, party? Is this a party issue? No, no, it's not. No, that, that, you know, that's the beautiful thing. That's the funny thing. I'm actually, we're getting involved here in local politics, which is what people in politics always talk about. They're like, forget about national, go local, go local, go local. And the funny thing is, yeah, when you go local, it's not a party thing. It really isn't. It, it, it's just people becoming, you know, you just become tribal. This is how people go. You, you just join sides. You, you, that's, that's the thing. This is proving you don't actually need a red and blue sticker to be part of a tribe. The tribe here is the yes is the yes sides of the no sides. That's your tribe. That, that that's literally the party. It's the yes. Yeah, I'd be curious turf. if you actually look though. If you looked at the, the I'm just Well, council. I'm just well. They don't they don't align. I I, you said I have, five out of six, right? So where where do their parties lie? I don't know who their personal parties are. I don't believe they have ch- like check marks against their names. There are like smaller parties because uh, I just we just did voting. Which I was going to actually it was another little topic. I was going to say how amazing it is to actually vote via mail. Uh, it's it's nice because you get to sit down, and crack open a little glass of, of wine. Uh, you get to look at look up every single person, look up their you know their pros, the cons. You know you're not rushed. You're not sitting in a line, and then all of a sudden someone just throws you into a booth, and you just you you, got, you feel like you got to just get 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 the markers in real quickly and then move on. You know you, you just get to calm down and say who do I want to vote for. And then you get to put that in a little envelope and mail that off. It's beautiful. It's civilized. I feel like it is a civilized way of going about it. But back to my point, when you look at the school board or any of the people there in the local politics, they don't usually have D's or R's. They're like smaller parties. It's like it's like pro one of the, one of the, one of the people was running on a party that was like let the children speak or uh, like their their names I've just never heard of. Uh, so I, I, I they they might have higher affiliations, no an, doubt. What an but interesting tack to take. Yeah, to name your party, like I'm we, just don't, saying, we don't hate children. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that it, it, it it's not. And I mean, look, I, I could be misrepresenting it because I just don't know enough. 
because I haven't been here long enough. So maybe if I'm here longer, I'll find out that people really do have true allegiances to the to the national parties. But then definitely, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is it just like a Tea Party type thing that's wrapped. Maybe, up yeah. I'm just saying, but Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a crap about what's happening in small town New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? So like, you're you're so far from that national game that even if you were affiliated, there you're not getting any love, and no one cares what you're doing here in terms of whether you're pretty. No, but I'm wondering the support, support the 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 townspeople support. I hear what you're trying to everyone, say. If not everyone has kids, you know, and they're and they're weighing in on this, like, what are they, like, are they giving it thought? I mean, geez, are they even giving it as much thought as we are? I right would now? say most people have kids because the town is the town has it's a it's a very young population um, in terms of uh, the children. Like, I would say, like the average child children child age is like. Uh, maybe like five to 15 or something like that, because I have noticed that when a child graduates from high school, there's usually a for sale sign in the, on the house, like that year, uh, right after that spring. So people are pretty keen to get out of these high tax areas. Once their children, once their children no longer (laughs) require the services of those areas. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. Like usually you see children, you don't usually see teenagers. So I would grant that the high school is probably, it's massive. I'm sure it's populated, but I'm just trying to say that you see more kids around than you ever see, uh, like young adults. So, but that's my grind. That's my ax to grind. All right. That that's my thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just think it's funny. It's funny to have educated people having a conversation. You know I want. I want a picture of you with the soccer ball yeah. on whatever, whatever on the turf, comes on the turf. <laughs> turf or the grass. Yeah. And you just tell us what happens. You, you post something. Well, I'm going to say that it looks, I mean, there's many more pro yes turf signs than there are pro no signs. Uh, but, you know, just because the, you know, what is that? It's like the whole squeaky wheel adage, uh, you know, just because it's the loudest doesn't mean that that's the, how the majority think. But definitely the yes signs completely outweigh out, outnumber the, the no signs. But again, I believe that has to do with funding. Is there <laughs> with a access to it associated with turf? Is there? Like, no, there's no. There no. Like, because it looks pretty. It does. People are like, "Wow, I want that field." No, that's why. I, that's why I'm, I'm key to Mark to say that th- there's no way it would happen in the main part of town. It, it's going to be a field that is out of view of tourists or uh, your your average everyday commute. Uh, people many, don't want to well, see turf. Many, so wait, if that that isn't the town's sports complex, that's not where all the towns fields are. Play no that field. So there's no. more than one field. There's more than one field. Yeah. And there is there two high schools? Is that kind of what I'm getting? No, there's at? only one. No, oh, okay. Well, this field is not high school related. Uh, the high schools have their own fields on their uh, campus. It's just a recreational. It's rec field. field. Yeah, we're talking like about rec the fields. Yes, and there's only there's more than one set of rec fields. There are. Yes, yes. This is this is part of a rotation. They are not public. Uh, well, sorry, the fields are public, but the the leagues that play on them are private leagues. Okay. Who play? Who pays for the maintenance? The town. The town, right. yeah, the town, town. Mm-hmm. and all the other fields are fine. All the other fields get the same amount of maintenance. Well, it, this, this is- particular location just, mm-hmm. you know, got the short end of the stick or those other fields get maintained a little better. I can't every- say I can't speak to that because the official line and, and nobody has uh, refuted this. So the official line is that this field in particular is a problem and having this field turned into turf will alleviate the stress that other fields that are in a better position get in terms of their wear and tear on an annual sports cycle. So this is this field is basically taking uh, one for the team in order to get the in order to give the other fields a chance at life. So that's, that's sort of what's, what's more human than that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Do you have a sign on your lawn? You know what? I, I just don't know where the sign get these signs. And I, and it's, I feel like it's too late at, at this point because there's only two weeks left. And then my neighbor has a no sign. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tag along with them. I'm also, Antoine has, Antoine has turf as his front lawn. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's the funny thing. Nobody would ever put turf as their front lawn either. You know, that, that's the other thing. As, as pro-turf as all these people are, if I came to them and I said, all right, if you're that's so the pro- Oh, my God, that's so perfect. We talked about this in the previous put- episode. The perfect time to finally use. Why don't you get turf? <laughs> it is you could live they would never no we were talking about this on a previous episode maxine where like i think the example i had given was if i ever wanted to help impoverished areas the argument i would get thrown in my face is well, why don't you go live there and i'm like that has nothing to do with that at all oh, that's right yeah. and this would be a perfect time for you to say something well why don't you get turf yeah i should <laughs> i should if i want to really stoke the fires and, and be known as a as a as in the camp of the uh of the ornery because that's the no turf people because they just have signs that just say no <laughs> no why no not, no no turf 
anyway so should we get on to the main topic at hand do it all right maxine we brought you on to talk a little bit about climate change on the trails uh you're you're an avid hiker right how long you've been hiking just to give the people a little so we know where we're starting with in terms of talking to you how how long have you been hiking And, and yeah go for it let's see i guess i started hiking in 2013 more seriously so that's about 10 years now wow all right. So you've been hiking for a decade. You're a decade hiker. Do they, do they, you have a name for that? Do they have like a, do you have a, a nickname on the trails? Do people like, know, does anyone know you? Do they see you that way? People measure your, like your time in miles actually. So a lot of people that. are like, oh, how many miles have you done? So wow. at this point I've done 5,000 miles and that's specifically like established long trails. I'm not including day hikes elsewhere. Right. I was going to ask that exact question, but I was going to say, is it the amount of shoes that you've owned? Like the amount of hiking shoes there are a lot or something of ways, like that? There are a lot of ways to quantify how long you've been hiking. Would you wear different shoes to go on those long hikes versus short hikes? Or is it you wear the same pair until they're done? Because they have mileage on them, right? Like they're only good for a certain amount of miles. They are. I wear the same shoes in both cases. And do you, do you tend to replace them around the, the recommended mileage or do you keep them longer? I have kept them very for way over their mileage. Um, at one point, I could see through my shoes on the Pacific Crest Trail, and it was yeah, that's probably the farthest I've pushed some some of my shoes. And I think it was maybe like over a thousand miles. So I maxed them out, and then when I got to the next town, I got a new pair. But you can push them to their limits. I feel like I worked at a running store for a long time, and we told people right. that shoes run out like after 300 miles or so, but now I'm mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. I feel like you could push them to, to their limits. They, do you feel, do you feel like you have holes being, in them? Oh, well, they have holes. Yeah. I was going to say when you worked for corporate in terms of, uh, do you think you were part of the like capitalist machine where you just had to push new, new, uh, new types of shoes out in the market? So Therefore you had that car. How that many corporate customers, how many of, customers uh, have you duped Max? Yeah. <laughs> Not just me. Your shoes um, will run out. That's what they say in the running world. Mm, You might have a point. I mean, it depends. So I will say that I pushed my shoes to probably a thousand miles and I started to suffer towards the end because I was walking over volcanic rock with very little shoe left. And it's like the one time that I did get blisters (laughs) to the point where I had to take ibuprofen to actually hike. So there's probably some value into not doing that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What made you start hiking? That's the other question I have because I want the... uh little backstory there for the listeners. Why, what, 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 what propels one to start getting out there in the wilderness? Well, more hardcore. Cause I feel like, especially in California, I don't, I don't know, maybe in this area too. Uh, there are a lot of people who do like little tiny mini day hikes. You know, it's just like a thing. You get a bunch of buddies together. You just do these, like, but what, what pushes you to do the, the long haul? Like the, the, what you say, where you get the, the mileage added to your day, what, what pushes you to get to that part of, of hiking? That's a very good question. Um, I think the thing that pushed me into it was just feeling at ease in nature, but also specifically when moving through it. So I just found that to be like the most energizing and calm that I felt. So I think my push was really very feelings based. um, And I wanted a break from just the world as it is. And it's a really, so I've hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Long Trail. So those are all national National scenic long trails that are established and maintained. Um, there are many in the country and the world, but um, I think I felt drawn to them because they were a step away from sort of like corporate city life and into this like community of like some semi nomadic people just like living outside in nature, filtering your water, you know, filtering their water, it like setting up your tent every night in a different spot. You just kind of like live in a different way. And I think that's what attracted me to it. That's really nice. That's really nice. I know. It's I like mean, a spiritual kind of thing. That. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you can't only, argue with that. It makes you want right. to get out there. Okay. If, if, you're you know, living if you're... outside the construct when you do yeah. that. And that's very much what we're built for. Right. I mean, that's from an, from a human animalistic point of view. That's why, that's how we've evolved. And then we've set ourselves in this construct that um, doesn't really align with our biology with our nature. So it's interesting. Where's the long trail? I can like sort of understand where the other two are. You mentioned three Appalachian and the, and the Pacific, but where's the long trail? Where's that? The long trail runs um, 
through the like length of Vermont. So from Canada, Vermont border to the Massachusetts, Vermont border. And it overlaps with the Appalachian Trail for a little bit. Um, but there's like a northern section that's like unique to the Long Trail. I don't know if you know the answer to this. This is just like my own curiosity. Why do they exist? Were they like trading routes? Like why do why do these trails exist? They were not trading routes, as far as I know. Um, I should know. I should be so well versed in the history of long trails. I want to put you on the spot. So the long trail itself, I believe, is the oldest like continuous footpath. Um, but then, like, it served, I think, as the inspiration for the Appalachian Trail. I could be wrong. It's okay. Anyway, it's okay. I think yeah, I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> they were built basically to sort of get out into nature and step away from society. That I do know. They I think like, that was the original intent. Right. They're like part of the conservation effort, like probably similar to the national park. Oh, is that right? true? Aren't they? So I, I do believe no concept. that. I do I'm like, are that. these pioneering trails or are they no. like Teddy Roosevelt era, like conservation, just like get people out and going? Like what? I don't know what the origin stories of any of these things are. Because some of them in Europe were like, um, and I'm, I don't know for sure, but they were like uh, journeys that would take, like pilgrimages almost, right? Um, and so I don't know what the ones in the U.S. are. Like they're not just paths that have been beaten over generations, uh, over centuries for for a specific purpose. I yeah, I mean, or an I, unrelated I, purpose. I know they're steeped in conservationism. Like I can't tell if it's the trails themselves that spurred on the conservation movements, or if yeah. it's part of the conservation movements in terms of give the trails, but they preserve them or something. Be, I mean, we could we, well we could always come back and and sort of do a retraction on 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 the on the start because I I, did, I honestly did not expect you, Maxine, to have a history. I don't, of neither of do trails. I. I'm just curious <laughs> as a hiker. I do I do this to Antoine all the time. No, but I should know. I mean, I know bits and pieces. The long trail is indeed the longest, I'm sorry, the oldest um, long trail, and it is the inspiration for the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. So started there and probably yeah, related to conservation efforts um, and maintaining some of these areas. I know it's a lot of work to secure the, the trail itself, and it takes like a lot of I guess there are a lot of agreements with like some private landowners and then government land like i'm not sure how it works but mm -hmm. i do know for instance like the continental divide trail is not necessarily complete yet and that runs from canada to mexico um it's the third of like the triple crown of of long trails but it's incomplete and i know part of it is like getting access to like or getting permission to sort of build the trail and connect it so that it is a continuous footpath and i've had to walk like delicately around some private land and it's just like you know this is private land like do not camp here just keep going <laughs> but those people have agreed to let the trail run extremely close to their house so like there are situations like that um it's just a lot of it's a lot of work to build them and get them established yeah that's interesting i wonder if there's any incentive for people to um lend their private property to the trail aside from just being nice probably just being nice I, <laughs> no no, no I, I will look i think that look there's a lot of brokered uh, and it's it's definitely tense, but we've discussed it in terms of looking at the wolves and, and the ranchers and, and conservationists. But there's a lot of like, uh, it's not you're not getting a kickback, you're not getting any money or a tax break for doing it. It's just a lot you of should like, get a tax break. You should absolutely what? get a tax break. No, what? It's called being civil. I'm sure. I'm sure there's just uh -huh. there's just like unspoken civility that goes in. I mean, what I was going to no, we need to make we need to make sure this stuff gets done. You no, know, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, okay. Oh, I, I was gonna ask if you've ever, which is a question that just occurred to me. I mean, I, I have a few pre questions, but the have you ever run into like Native American, like uh, indigenous people land or anything? Did, they, did any of these trails cross through any of that kind of stuff out there, or or are they, are they because are they like far from reservations and in, in, um. Uh, that's a good question. I don't think that I have, but I have been primarily very much on like the East Coast and the West Coast. I mean, not on the actual coast, but like mm -hmm. far enough East and West that I wonder if I would run into that more on something like the Arizona Trail or at some point on the Continental Divide Trail in like New Mexico or some mm. part of Montana yeah. or Wyoming. Um, okay. I'm not sure. That's a really good question. Mm. What's right, your well, next trail target? The next trail is the Continental Divide Trail, which would complete the Triple Crown for me. So it means very little to people outside of, you know, the hiking world. But there is like a long distance hiking association that will recognize you if you um, 
complete all three. And so that's phenomenal. It, it's like the standard. If once you, they say you either do one long trail or you do three, it's very mm-hmm. rare to do two. And right now I'm in that like two of three identity. And how long does that, that trail take? It'll take about the same amount of time, like five, five to six months. Um, the Pacific Crest Trail took me about like four and a half and the Appalachian Trail took me about five and a half. So it kind of depends on like the the level of preparedness and also the Continental Divide Trail is more of a choose your own adventure because it's not as established as the other trails. So there are a lot of alternates and actually it is the the trail that seems to be most impacted by weather and it's a very short weather window because mm-hmm. You basically have the the threat of snow in Montana and Wyoming and the San Juans of Colorado. And so those are all like really bad places to be hiking in. What does that mean? What's the Colorado one? I don't know what that means. There's a mountain, like a region of mountains, the San Juans. Um, I just know that they're really like rugged, remote mountains. And every year people who hike the CDT, they confront, they generally confront snow if they're going northbound and have to either like flip past it or like go around it on the road. It's, it's always like a, a complicated thing to consider. Mm. Um, so basically there's like this, there's a snow issue, but then there's also potential for fires. Um, and then there's also like monsoon season in Colorado, which has the risk of lightning. Do you have to sign like go to checkpoints and like sign your name to say almost like you're checking in. Like I'm here, I'm on this sex, the segment. There are stuff like that. Sometimes you do have to register like as a hiker, it'll be at like maybe a, like a kiosk at a road crossing or something for safety. Right. In case there is a disaster that they know, all right, we have four people on this segment. We got to go in and get them. Yeah. I think it's just to kind of monitor what's going on. Um, I mean, I always personally check in with people at home. Like I have a GPS my coordinates. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would use that like pretty much every night just to send to people who wanted to know if I was alive or dead. (laughs) (laughs) So so this, this, this trail where it's, you said you have to use alternates. I mean, it sounds like like a biathlon. You said flip past it. That was the word you used. Do you, do you, I mean, are you like, taking a car to like go or is it another trail like what do you do to get to 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 connect those bits it's all on foot so you are taking other trails or sometimes you're doing a road walk so you're taking like a paved road or like a dirt road Um, and that doesn't count it counts actually so so why isn't it connected or is it just not like a protected area for you to walk on so it's like, it's like, it's not a protected area. Like it's not marked through, it's not like completely maintained and marked, but it is a continuous footpath and it is legally established. Like it's not cutting yeah. through. They've just had to like route it, I guess, in different ways. Um, You're not like Ferris Buellering it and jumping fences over people's backyards to connect the paths. Generally, no. <laughs> what, 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 what are you imagining? <laughs> what do you think is out there? <laughs> like, well, I hear these like, Going through these, subdivisions, these, these segments these of the trails that don't connect, and how do you that's get there? A good question. How do you get there? No, that's it's good that you asked that because I'm not representing it well. It's all connected. It's just whether or not it's like officially established. Um, but the idea with but you said paved, and that was interesting because this, if something is paved, is it not part of the official trail? Is that a, a, a standard of a trail? It it's can't still be part of it. It's still part of it. I've walked on quite a few roads. I personally like roadblocks, which yeah. is actually a controversial opinion <laughs> oh, in really? the community. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice sometimes because it's like roadblocks are generally easy because it's like mm-hmm. flat, predictable surface rather right. than like, you know, steep scrambling up rocks. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to have variety. Are, are there are there like cars on those roadblocks or is it just people? Or are they just like uh tray like paved walkways for people to go on like they're specifically two people or are they shared they are shared and it is it can be very stressful to do a road walk because okay. sometimes it will be on a road that's really more like a highway i think that's probably that's what i was wondering yeah there are some roads that you really don't want to be walking on because even something like 40 miles per hour on a road is is pretty scary when there's like a small shoulder yeah. almost no shoulder and you have cars zooming by you so it, it, they are shared do you plan like daytime versus nighttime to be on those stretches or do you just do it at any time? It just happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, I think that would be something I would encounter more on the 
continental divide trail because it's a lot more road walking. And ideally I wouldn't be doing it at night, but I don't know how much control, you know, you just kind of try to make the miles. Like you don't really account for that as much as you would account for something like weather. How many miles is it? The C- so it's called the CDT. It's uh, thirty one hundred miles. So it's the longest of the three. Holy cow! That's like a whole nother what, like half almost of what you've currently done. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. yeah actually, it is. It is. Holy cow! Yeah, it's a lot of miles. <laughs> but you do a lot of it alone as well. I mean, I just wanted to since we're just going to do twenty questions on you for now. <laughs> but a lot of it is by yourself, which is what I find the most remarkable part of the whole thing. I would think that you'd either for safety, you would go in groups or, uh, yeah, you know, travel in a pack. That's a that's your most nomadic like one oh one lesson of being like as human as can be. But this is like you do this alone for a lot of this, don't you? Well, I will say I I feel like I have to now it's not as remarkable, but <laughs> I would say that I I hike a lot alone during the day. Um, but there's like a really big community of through hikers. And so on the Appalachian Trail, I actually had what is called a trail family. And we were this like little pack of people um, who m- traveled from like pretty much Georgia to Maine, not always together, but it was like this family dynamic, which is super interesting. Um, and then on the PCT, I hiked with a partner and then so that was like a very intentional hike with another person. And the long trail was my most solo journey. And I specifically went in the southbound direction so that I could be alone because I wanted to see what it was like without people around me. And it, it actually turned out to be my favorite trail experience um, in, in a different way. But the, the human connection actually on the trail became so much more critical than I had anticipated. Like I thought I was going to get to the Appalachian Trail and be on my solo hike, just like me and nature. And it was, there are so many people um, which some people like really don't like and yeah. some people love. I think it's the people that make the trails special in the end. So um, it's a really important part of it, but I do think there's value in like really being by yourself and seeing what you can do when there's no one around to help you. Like when you have to do something scary and there's no one to even say like, I am afraid <laughs> mm. um, and you just do it and then you do it and you're like, I guess I'm capable of this by myself. It's amazing. When you when you talk about the amount of people on the trail, is that because I mean I'm, I'm going to try to segue back a little bit to the climate change aspect of this, but the um is has overcrowding been an issue as well? Like is that have, have people been talking about that in recent years as it becomes more popular to to hike? Yes, so it definitely has become an issue. It puts a huge stress on the environment if so many people, thousands of people start in the same spot on a trail and walk in the same direction generally, it it's really bad because, you know, people aren't disposing of their waste properly, both human waste and their actual garbage and generally aren't practicing like leave no trace principles. So there have the, the Pacific Crest Trail Association has established a permit system. And so in order to hike the PCT as like one, you know, through hike, you have to enter you have to like wait on a line on the internet basically and hope that you can select the date that you want for your permit. And there are like 50 permits a day that are issued between like April through like the fall pretty much. But because of the weather window, you really can only hike in one set of months. Like it's usually like spring into the fall, Mm -hmm. depending on the direction you go. Um, It could be like summer into the fall, but you're really limited. So basically these organizations are trying to keep an eye on how many people are hiking at once and trying to discourage large groups of people starting at the same time. Now, when you, when we, to help envision this, cause I honestly don't know what to picture. Do you it, like, is it like there's someone three feet in front of you and three feet in front of you and three feet, like uh, how crowded visually, like what are the optics of, of a crowded trail? First, <laughs> cause, cause I like, don't know like, does it look like a centipede? Is. Like, is it just well, a little, little trail of people, lemons, just following one another? Is it like yeah. waiting online for a roller coaster or is it like crowded trail is like you and then there's someone 50 yards in front of you? Like, what is a crowded trail? It's Paint so me a picture. Funny. Is it like entering Disney World? Like, <laughs> like is it at so the gates? <laughs> <laughs> this is such an interesting question because I always tried to imagine like what we all looked like if we were to zoom out and get an aerial view. Because you could be on the same trail as someone and just be like a mile ahead and never meet them ever. 
And you could go from like Georgia to Maine without, you know, interacting with someone who was only a mile behind you. So like, it's hard to say how dispersed people are. And I wish there was more like data on that where they were tracking like where the, they call it the bubble when there's like a big group of people. And it'd be interesting to see like how that bubble sort of travels up or down the trail. So it's not like, it's not that noticeable that there are people around you. Like you can, even if thousands of people start in the same, like, you know, month, um, the time you notice it the most is at the end of the day when people camp. Mm -hmm. So you could end up camping with like, you know, five or 20 people on the Appalachian trail. It was very populated um, at these like shelters that are established. So that's because when there's you established destinations. Yeah. And that's then like not other- a lot of people either five to I 20 guess- people. That's not a lot of people, but maybe it is. Maybe it's supposed to be two and 20 is like way over. It could be, it could right. be. I'm just saying, but we're not talking about, you know, I think that some people might be conjuring up images of like the horde, like the zombie horde and like walking right. dead where it's like it's hundreds of people that. walking, that's why I asked, trampling but, everything in their path. It's but like, what can the ecology take? Right. I yeah, mean, that's, that's kind of question. what it is. It's right. not how, how much, how uncomfortable is a human being when there's so many of them grouped together? It's what can the ecology take? Mm. Right. It's, it's really concerning. And it's something that I think there are responsible ways to hike, you know? And so there are like leave no trace principles, which is basically just like, as a human, you just don't leave a trace of your existence there. Like you leave everything as you found it, but there's only so much you can do. Like if thousands of people are walking over the same area, you're, right, you are trampling it. Um, so I had a question about, I want to, I want to make sure Antoine progresses into the climate change stuff, but you, you mentioned the, the trail family and this is like, I can't get it out of my head now. One, is this pre-planned or are you just coalescing because you just met each other in that moment? And two, you said dynamic, that it has a family dynamic. Are we talking about like parents, kids roles? Like, what do you mean by that? And I just found that fascinating. So typically you kind of group together based on your pace. So that happens sort of naturally. Like if you're hiking, if you started on the same day and you're hiking about the same pace, you just see the same people over and over again. At some point you do have to decide if you want to continue forward with these people because you, you, so is that like a, is that like a personal thing? Kind of. I'm going to hang back guys. You guys go on without me. And that's like, I don't like you. It's based, it's a thing. And, and no one really like is, has too many hard feelings about it because so many people go out there to like do their own hike, their own hike. And so you can easily be like, Hey, like I'm going to hang back or like, I'm going to hike ahead. Like maybe I'll see you guys later. Maybe I won't, but your go-to, I feel like this is a Larry David or Seinfeld episode. What's your go-to. I don't want to hike with you. Um, I, if I got tired of hiking with people like during the day, I'd be like, Oh, I'm just going to hang back. I have to pee. And like, then I would just like, <laughs> you know, try Yo, to, really- I have to pee to get out of hanging out <laughs> people trick. I knew you were, an old, yeah, I knew you were going to go for the classic. I knew that's it. great. It's you guys go I'm ahead. Out. I'm going to dig this hole here. Just, uh, <laughs> don't mind me. Me in the trees. <laughs> um, so, but you know, I have to say like, I was with people that, I wanted to be around and it was mutual. And we, we actually started to move as a group intentionally. Um, the dynamic is interesting because now that you're asking me this, I hadn't really thought about like, if there was like a parent child dynamic, but I did have two people in my trail family. They were a couple and they're my, they're very good friends of mine. They definitely had more of like a parental role, even though I think they really did not want that role. Um, but they were kind of like the glue that held us together. Um, but generally it kind of felt like having siblings actually going back to this only child thing. I had never really had like so many people around me all at once, like other than maybe living at, at school, you know, when I was in college, but this was like, you know, we would eat dinner together. We would like take snack breaks together. We'd get hotel rooms and we'd all like you know, spread like six people across, you know, like two beds. Like it's, you get really, really close to these people. And so I think it's probably closer to like a sibling dynamic to some degree. No, it's lovely. Really just cool. tell every single, any only child out there, just go hike, you know, and then, yeah, and then you've go got hike. it. Cause honestly, that's it's it, the rest is overrated doing that for your whole life. Like you said, it's sometimes you just want to hang back and pee. So, uh, <laughs> So you take, take it me. in small doses, you know, don't, don't, don't get too wrapped up. And this is what it was like all the time. Cause it was Maxine. Do they have, I mean, like, cause there's the stuff to make you get prepared for a hike, but then there's this stuff, like this kind of nuanced stuff. Do they have a brochure or a pamphlet 
to give to people to say like, all right, yeah, once you get your equipment and you know how to no, leave no trace behind, like here's, here's the nuance, here's the intricacies of hiking that you need to know, that the culture. It's interesting that you asked that because I think like the trail organizations try to do their best to be like, if you're going to through hike this trail, like be prepared. But I would say the intricate details are largely gathered on YouTube and Instagram, like the hiking community has taken to both of those. And there are some like YouTube famous hikers or like Insta mm. famous hikers. I hate that I'm even using that. I'm kind of joking, <laughs> but they really but are. There are tons of us. They're, they're, they're in every industry. Don't worry about it. You shouldn't feel any sheepishness about that. But yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, I'm not one of them. So there are people that like yeah. make all these videos about the gear and what you should expect. And, you know, daily, like, you know, logs of like their journey. So there's a lot of content out there mm-hmm. aimed at helping new people. I would feel get- a lot of it would be a little natural because I mean, it's it, a lot of this sounds like what it was like when we were hunter gatherers and in terms of, you know, you, you find strong tribes and you, you know, you either unite or you fight. Uh, and it just sounds like there's just a lot of uniting. And, uh, and so you just fall into these uh, very naturalistic, you know, almost like, you know, prehistoric, uh, hierarchies of families, like it's you know, because you're you're just surviving together. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. So, so in some ways, it's it's almost like using our like our instinctual nature versus like our uh, the cognition that is uh, adapted and learned through civilization. That, that's just what I'm ever been, I wonder if there's ever been a trail family dynamic where someone becomes like more of the dictator, chieftain, <laughs> the chief, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it taking over and it dictating definitely. to everyone. It happens. Um, okay, but, we don't have to get into that. We don't have to get into that. But uh, I think, yeah, no, you have a really good point. It's like, it, it is so natural. And it actually, they, like the sort of joke is that through hiking will ruin your life. Um, because once you do it, you kind of, you see that like life can be simpler. And, you know, you have this like goal in mind every day. You, you are kind of collecting your own water and setting up your home every night and moving every day. And honestly, to me, that now feels easier than sitting at a desk for 40, 50 hours a week. And I know that's how a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's how a lot of people feel after they get back from the trail. It's like, it's like, wait, in some ways, even though I will say there's a great deal of suffering, like you are living in, when you see it downpouring outside and you're inside, like just imagine walking through that, you know, for days (laughs) and your socks are wet and you're putting wet socks on. So there are like these terrible moments, but even with that, it's still better than like a bad day in regular life in a lot of ways. I mean, that fulfilling aspect of dealing with nature or just, you know, incorporating your life into it. I wonder what would, and I don't expect anyone here to know, but what does balance look like? You know, humans, we have this whole society. We want to make sure we progress and we have our tech and all that stuff. But then there's this very primal basic need and we only feel fulfilled we only feel it's fulfilled when we do things like you're describing. And nothing really can supplant that. That's just ingrained into who we are as a species. And I wonder what what is, how do you incorporate that? How do you find balance where we don't have to give up either, where we can kind of figure out the way that it should be, where we still are able to stop a meteor from crashing into the planet, but then we can still go out and do these things and feel fulfilled. Well, that's easy. UBI. <laughs> What a horrible plug. What is it about? Oh, oh, funny you ask, Maxine. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) It's not what this episode is about. We're not going off on this tangent. It's five hundred bucks a month. Five hundred bucks a month. I'm just saying it's the freedom. Universal basic income. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just saying it's the freedom. It's the freedom to be able to pursue your own interests. Do you get like a a sabbatical every year, or is it just that, like you know, whatever it may be? Like, how do you find the balance? Because it's a shame that you have to choose. I guess is my point. Yeah. When they're clearly two sides of the same coin, the human coin. Like, why can't we have both? And what would that look like? Because I don't know if it'll be 50-50, right? You're not going to hike for half the year and then, and then, or maybe you will, I don't know, um, and work for half the year. But I don't know. Just a I thought. think about this a lot. I think right now I feel like I've achieved some balance because I, I have both like the mountains outside of my door 
and a local hiking community. And then I have my like indoor space where it is predictable and I do have a job here. Um, so this is the closest I've gotten to that balance, but it, it's very hard to achieve. And to be completely honest, it's only possible because of how the pandemic made it possible to remotely work and that right. that's now a given. But if that, if, and I remember Antoine, I feel like we talked, I talked about this like a lot back in the day, mm-hmm. but like the remote work, like does provide like a lot of freedom. And so many companies yeah. were so opposed to to providing that as an option. And I think, I think that is like a step towards balance because you can like live your life and have more time to be part of a community or just go outside and just be more yourself, your human self. Um, So I have to say like, that is one outcome that has, has served me well in the sense that I can work remotely and live in the mountains, which was otherwise completely out of the question. Wow. Well, Maxine, that's a, that's a book I want to read just so you know, you write a book on how to find that balance. And I will buy it. I'll try. I'll try. My I best. like that. I love that. That that no that that really is cool. You summed that up pretty well. You didn't get too philosophical about it. That was that was very pragmatic. You're just like you know what, working from home. <laughs> Wfh. <laughs> just need a little bit more of that. Here I am, all like we got to change everything from the top. But you're just well, like, do you, you know what? do you both feel like working from home has impacted you positively or negatively or just completely neutral? Absolutely. I, it's a positive because of the not having to commute, you get that time back and, and you can do more with the time you have. So from that aspect, uh, it's it's a complete positive. Now, granted, uh, I think the three people here, I can't tell where you, where you are, but I think you're in a house as well uh, in New Hampshire, yes. not an apartment. Uh, so again, space is also a privilege. If you were working from home in a space that you do not have the, uh, you're not afforded the uh uh an office or you know something where you can actually take you know step away from family or whoever roommates or whoever you're living with and work in a space that is more your own you know working from home is going to be a different story for you but when you are privileged enough to have that uh ability to step away um it yeah it's a it's a it's a it's it's amazing but i've been i've been an advocate for work from home for basically since i started working (laughs) (laughs) it's a beautiful thing um and i'm and i agree with you it's definitely been a positive i have not raising two young children now have not had the chance to have that to use that free time in that way the time i got back from working virtually but um i do look forward to the time when (laughs) i can start to explore other options when the kids get a little older but no, I, you know, to that point though, experiencing the, the pleasure that has been raising children, that whole parenthood aspect of life, I wouldn't have had anywhere near that experience if it wasn't for this. And so that's, that's been its own reward in that way. It's really unfortunate that it took a global pandemic to make this possible. What's unfortunate is, is that how bad things have to get in order to, in order to do things that are relatively common sense uh, for, for the majority But it wasn't even, you know, don't even give it the credit. Don't even give it that credit because that's not even like, it wasn't like things got bad. We need to do this so that people can go hiking or people can raise their kids. It was just like some random coincidence offshoot that like, that's what we use the time for, or that's what we found that for that wasn't given to us for that way. So yeah, we got it from the pandemic, but it it wasn't for that. Some of us, mind you. There are many of us who did not. That's that. very true. Pretty, yeah, very true. like your wife, you know, she's a she's a um, first not first responder. What do you call it? A central worker. You know, she's she still had to leave, still still has to leave the house day. and go to the yeah. office every day. Exactly. And that's I do try to keep that in mind because it is a privilege to be able to work remotely from home and to have a space that feels safe and comfortable. Like not everyone has that, and then working right. from home becomes a nightmare. So. It, it does depend on the circumstances. Um, but but that's I think part of the whole incorporate. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Just gen- generally, I think if, if it's just accepted more widely as a legitimate option for working that we all have now demonstrated is very possible. Like, I just, I think it should be an option. Yeah. Yeah. So one would think that the advent of the internet would have prevent would have allowed this to have happened i don't know 30 years ago but you know that's some of us that's me like that's people like me who are like you know what 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 are we doing here why why, why are we wasting time there are that, yeah i feel like uh, you were one of the first proponents or one of the first people that i had met and worked for that was a proponent of working from home because you believe that like people can get their work done on their 
own time and, and do the same quality of work. Just the internet, people. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. You're doing the same thing that you're doing in the office at home. But yeah, anyway, it's kind of like just part of the quality of the worker, right? Like, if, can you work at home? Yes. Okay, great. Like, it's just something that some people, I will say that some people don't have the discipline for whatever reason. And it's not a positive or negative thing. Some people just don't have it. Um, and, and, and at maybe, the same time, I've never advocated, and I think I would never advocate to say that all work should be remote. Uh, yeah. th- I think that it should be a choice because it, it depends on you, you. It's something about yourself. Just like not everyone needs to go abscond to New Hampshire and start hiking, but you do what works for you. A little jaunt in Central Park, you know, that might be all the greenery anyone else needs. They don't need to know what it's like to have to step back and pee outside. You know what I'm saying? So it's. <laughs> You know, it could, it could come in many shapes and forms. So, uh, you know, there's that. I feel like we might have to have you back on, Maxine, because we're there at this point. There's <laughs> there's no point in delving heavy into climate change talk with how long we've gone at, at this juncture. And the thing is, you're such a wealth of information. I think that we've just sat back here and just love. And you're a good storyteller. I mean, I, I just want to say massive kudos to you coming on because uh, I just feel I feel very and like I just I feel enlightened from listening to you speak about the trail and the experience of, of being out there in the wilderness. I, I actually, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on. I think that's been, this has been amazing. Thank you for having me really. I mean, I love talking about trail stuff, so that's very easy for me to do, but I think it's, it's helpful to have your perspective on it as well. Cause it makes me think about it a little differently. Like I'm so immersed in this one world that, you know, I don't really see it from the outside and it's cool. It's got, it's brought me to different thoughts that I hadn't had before. We'll have to do a part two. Yeah. This is a part one. I'm not getting, I'm not letting you go. <laughs> well, it's, I'm not saying that might be the next episode, but it's definitely a part. This is definitely getting a part one in the, in the title. Definitely. I mean, Antoine's one cutting it short, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got responsibilities. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. This has been really great. Um, also, I just generally like talking to you both. So this is really oh, it's nice. It's been a pleasure. It's been and a pleasure I'll- having you on. Yeah, we'll have to do a part two and then we'll have to be more disciplined in um, diving into how climate change is impacting the trail. Yeah. We've done a few episodes on climate. I think we've done at least two directly on the IPCC report. And yes. we've always yeah. mentioned it sporadically through for yeah. biodiversity, conservation and random things. So it's definitely an ongoing theme here as it should be. So I'm definitely want to dive into it. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, in short, climate change is impacting the through hiking world. <laughs> Just to let everyone know. <laughs> that's, that's in part happening. two. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Start a sentence and end halfway through. <laughs> so, JB, where can they find us? Uh, guys, hit us up, Retraction Media, at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, let us know your thoughts and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. And with that, happy 50th retraction out. Seriously, Vaccine, that was awesome. I love it. Was it? I think.